God is good and all the time. Do you believe that this morning? Boy, this week was a historic week in our nation, wasn't it? And uh, as, uh, yeah, you can give the Lord a hand. As uh, we saw for 50 years, our nation has been praying. Believers have been praying that uh, the decision that was made this week would finally be made. You know, I was born in 1973. And since I was born, well, we have had a stain on our country. Really. Not because I was born. Let me make sure we specify that. It's because my brother was born six minutes later. That's why. But what I, what I want to just pause for a moment before we get our message today is to, in a moment, have a time of prayer. I'm going to invite you to come forward and just pray in a moment over our country. But I also want us to realize, so just as a pastor to realize that there are a lot of emotions in the room. There's a lot of emotions in our community. There's a lot of emotions in our country regarding the decision that was made Friday. And I want you to know that as a follower of Jesus, my platform is Jesus. My hope is not in any party. My hope is not in the United States of America. My hope is in Jesus. And I want to be careful as a pastor, and I want to maybe coach you this morning to be faithful as a follower of Jesus to wave high the banner of Jesus. Because I think we can easily get caught into political debate and forums, and we can lose our voice for the most important discussion, that is, Jesus came and died for all people. Do you believe that? And I want to be careful as a church that we don't fall into, we looked at the seven churches last week. The church at Ephesus was doctrinally pure, but they were relationally poor. And we want to be careful as a church that we speak the truth. I'm thankful that we have made decisions this year to stand for life. Because why? Why why will we stand for life? Because as humanity, we are created in the image of God. That as a creation of God, you are an image bearer of God. And as a church, we want you to be beyond just an image bearer of God. We want you to be a follower of Jesus. And sometimes, me personally, I can speak the truth very boldly but forget love. And Paul described that in 1 Corinthians 13. We all know the love chapter. It seems like the famous passage to read at a wedding. But what Paul says is that we can have all truth, but if we don't speak the truth in love, we are as a clanging symbol that we produce no good fruit. Let me read a statement from one of my favorite pastors to listen to Dr. Tony Evans. He said, all life is a gift from God and to be protected, nurtured, and cherished. We believe this because we believe that all humans are created in the image of God. This means all forms of denial of justice and humanity, dignity, whether racism, classism, or degradation of any kind. It must be viewed and addressed in terms of and with respect to the image of God. 
He goes on to say it's time for God's people to lead the way in promoting a whole life agenda from the womb to the tomb as we simultaneously proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and the gift of forgiveness he offers to all who come to him for grace. Would you agree with that this morning? You realize that according to statistics, one out of four Women, by the age of 45, will have an abortion currently. And, you know, this past January, one of our long-term members, somebody that I went to Bible college with, has served alongside, stood up here on this stage, if you remember, and she confessed to you that for many years she had kept silent about the abortion she had as a high school student. And so what I want us to be very cautious about, if statistics play out, there's people in the room who this decision opens a womb. And we celebrate the decision, don't get me wrong. But there's real hurt, there's real emotions that go along with decision. And what I want to be careful as a pastor is to celebrate the goodness of God and the decision that I believe is God-ordained, but also to give room in his church to know that, that this needs to be a safe place to have real-life conversations. Because in 1 John it says we confess to God for forgiveness, and in James 5 it says we confess to one another that we may be healed. And I never want to push somebody away because I speak the truth so boldly and I don't express that God offers forgiveness. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. That God forgives any and all sin if we will confess he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I want to be a, I want to be a safe place. There's people in our community that are hurting. I'm thankful that every Wednesday night at 6.30, right here in this sanctuary, there's a group that meets called regeneration. That's a safe place for those who may be hurting. And I, I want you to know today, if you are hurting and you need to confess something, Wednesday night at 6.30 is a great place to be. It's a great place to be. But I want to give us as, as a church an opportunity this morning just to thank the Lord and to pray for those 60 plus babies, million babies that have been murdered. I'm thankful they're in the presence of God. But what a, what a sin of our country. I also want us together this morning to pray that we would be a church that faithfully teaches truth but expresses the love of Jesus. So, so would you just stand if you would like to join and just come to the altar and let's pray. Greg's just going to play for a moment. We can dim the lights for a minute. And we're going to pray, and then, and then I'll close this out as I pray over us as a church. You can stay seated, you can stand, you can come to the altar, but let, let's just, in unity of spirit today, seek the Lord. Pray for those who are hurting today.
God, we come to you today. We want to thank you for the boldness of our leaders who have made this historical decision. Lord, I pray for leaders of states as this decision has pushed the legality of abortion to the state. And I I pray, Lord, you would give our state leaders wisdom. Lord, we pray for those who are hurting, who are struggling with emotions, and, and, and I just pray, Lord, you would bless. Lord, I pray as a church that we would be the faithful church. Lord, yes, I pray that we would not compromise, we would not be corrupt, that we would stand on the truth of your holy word, which is our authority for life. But Lord, I pray that we would also be known for how we love all people, that we would fight injustice as we see it, Lord, that we would line ourselves scripturally with you, but emotionally and in love with our community. I pray as we open up your word today that you would reveal yourself to us. Lord, as we, we peer into the throne room of God and we see God Almighty, El Shaddai, may it push us to worship you. As we look at the lion, the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, may we be drawn to the work and the person of Jesus. It's in his precious and powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated this morning. And uh, I don't I don't know. All I know to say is this. God is good. And all the time. I want to encourage you to continue praying for our students. There are over 80 students and leaders who are at camp this weekend. And so pray for them as they have still a service uh, tonight, tomorrow morning, and Monday night as well. So pray that God continues to speak uh, into our students' lives. I made a life-changing decision at camp, and I'm praying that our kids will do the same. Are, are you praying that as well? And uh, sorry, I got emotional. I saw uh, he's in a different spot, but Steve back there, he was my student pastor when I was 17 years old. I woke him up at 2 o'clock in the morning. He told me to shut up and go back to bed. No, probably should have. But I remember him kneeling down at an old metal bunk bed. I'm so glad I'm not at camp this week. But anyways, an old metal bunk bed, and I gave my life to Christ. And I'm praying that for our students. Turn with me to Revelation 4. We got an awesome message today. I'm excited about it. And I hope you are as well. Uh, As we just sang about, Revelation chapter 1, we see that knowing where we're going gives us strength and courage for the journey. And and in uh, Revelation chapter 1, you know, John was exiled to the island of Patmos because he wouldn't stop telling people that Jesus is the only way to God, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And so he was exiled to the island of Patmos, he gets a vision. He sees Jesus, and when he, uh, verses 13 through 16, describe what he sees, the person of 
Jesus and he falls down on his face before God, before Jesus there. And Jesus puts his hands on his shoulder. And he's like, don't be afraid. The song we just sang, right? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I will live in eternity. I have the opportunity of that. And so he lays his, he puts his hands on his shoulder and he says, don't be afraid. I was the one who was dead, but now I'm alive and have the keys to death and hell. And that's where the song we just sing about comes from. Because he lives, I can live. Chapter two and three, last week, we looked at the seven letters, the seven churches, and we made this statement, knowing where you're going gives courage uh, excuse me, knowing who you're going with gives courage for the journey. Again, in, in chapter 2, verse 1, it says that John was in the midst of, or Jesus was in the midst of the churches. And so Jesus was there. And do you realize, as Soya mentioned, that the church is not this building? You are the church as a follower of Jesus. And that's why Jesus is here today. Can you say amen to that? The presence of Jesus is here, and I'm thankful for that. And knowing who's going on the journey with us gives us strength for the journey. Now, I want to give you a quick outline of the book of Revelation. Now, you see the basic outline in, in verse number uh, 19, and it says that Jesus told John, uh, write down things that you've seen, write down the things that are, which will be chapters 2 and 3. And then he says, write down the things that will soon take place. So that's just a basic outline. And what we see this kind of played out in the book of Revelation is this. In, in chapter 1, we see a picture of Jesus. In chapters 2 and 3, we see the church, what we would know as the church age. Like the church age, we are in the church age from the ascension of Christ until the, re, the second advent, the return of Christ. And then we see... In chapters 4 and 5, as has already been mentioned, we're going to get a, a kind of a glimpse of the throne room of God. That's going to be amazing, the throne room of God. Verse, uh, chapters 6 through 19 then kind of spell out for us or describe for us future events. This is what would be known as the Great Tribulation Period, seven years that would encapsulate this tribulation period. Period. Chapter 20 then talks about the millennial reign of Christ, a thousand year reign. We're going to get to all this. I'm just kind of giving you an overview of the book. Chapters 21 and 22 then talk about the new heaven and the new earth. So today we are in chapters 4 and 5 and we get to just kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and see the throne room of God. Now, remember the title of this series is Final Destination. What we want you to know is that everyone is going to spend an eternity somewhere. You're either going to spend an eternity in the presence of God in paradise, or you're going to spend eternity outside the presence of God in punishment, all right? Heaven or hell. And I want you to be prepared so that when you stand before Jesus, you get to spend eternity in a place called heaven. All right, so we're going to see how to do that in this chapter, all right? So chapter 4 and 5. Now, as we begin chapter 4, let me read verse number 1. After these things, remember John is writing, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, I will show you the things which take place after this. Now, I don't have time to go all through 
really the points that I have on the screen ready for you. But what I want you to know is there's basically what I see in chapter one here is uh, chapter, excuse me, verse number one of chapter four. John is a picture or a type or a foreshadowing of the church. Okay, and when, when you come to this conclusion, then what you would, the, the theology of that conclusion would say that as a church, what I believe is that I believe that God is going to rapture the church before the events of chapter number six. And, the, and there's a couple reasons I believe that. One of them, the main one that, to point to really quickly is this. In chapters one through three, the church is mentioned 19 times. In chapters 6 through the rest of really, I think chapter 22, the church is never mentioned again. Not until after the tribulation period. Okay, so I believe that what we're seeing here when John is taken up to heaven, what would be considered the rapture. Let me give you a quick definition of the rapture for some of you that may not, may, may not know. All right, this definition should be on the screen. Maybe easiest for you to get your phone out and take a picture. There will be a sudden return of Christ in the clouds to physically snatch followers of Jesus from the earth who are still alive. Okay, and in Revelation chapter 3, verse number 10, it says, God speaking to the faithful church, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trouble which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell. Now, let me just let you understand, there are really three basic views of when the rapture is going to take place, okay? And there's good, godly men who believe one of the three things, okay? What I believe is that we as the church, followers of Jesus, the rapture will take place before the events in chapter 6 and following, what is known as the Great Tribulation. That theology, that belief would be termed pre-tribulation rapture, okay, pre-being before. There are godly men, theological men, who believe in what is termed as mid-tribulation rapture, that after three and a half years, the church will be taken up into heaven, and then all hell is going to break loose, right? Then there is also people who believe in a post-tribulation rapture, that the church will go through the seven years of tribulation and then Jesus will snatch the church out. There will be a rapture. Most people who believe in the scriptures would teach a rapture, but those are kind of the three different timelines that people would give you. The reality is, I hope and pray that I'm right. Okay? There gives great hope. And the book of Revelation is about hope. It's to the church to say, listen, God is going to win in the end, and there's hope. And whether you believe in pre, mid, or post, God still wins in the end, and we are still going to be in the presence of God. Can you say amen to that? Okay, I'm just telling you what I believe, and I have this whole outline I could share with you, but we don't have time, all right? But I gave you the, the, the basic one. All right, so now let's get into the view of the throne room of God. Chapter 4, we see a picture of God Almighty. The word almighty, which we're going to read, is in verse number 8. The Hebrew word is El Shaddai, God Almighty, the Creator, God the Father. Chapter 4 gives us a picture of God the Father and, and what is taking place in the presence of God the Father. Then chapter 5 shifts the focus from God the Father to God the Son. 
the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, all right? And then we're going to finish with just three basic questions, all right? So chapter 4, verse, let's go ahead and read verse 1. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. The first voice which I heard was like the trumpet speaking with me, saying, again, another thought about pre-tribulation rapture is that when the voice of God, like a trumpet, this is what is associated with the rapture in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which is another reason, again, I believe in pre-tribulation rapture. Number two, immediately I was in the Spirit. Behold, a throne set in heaven, one set on the throne. Verse number eight says who that one is. It's God Almighty, El Shaddai. One set on the throne. Everything in heaven revolved around God Almighty. Verse three, and he who sat on it was like a jasper and sardis stone in appearance. There was a rainbow, the rainbow again, speaking to the covenant of God around the throne. In appearance, like an emerald around the throne, there were 24 elders, uh, 24 thrones, excuse me, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting. They were clothed in white robes, they had crowns of gold on their heads, and from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Remember, we just talked about that's the fullness of the Spirit. There's debate on who the 24 elders on the 24 thrones are. Some would say it's representative of the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, also with the 12 apostles. Um, there's a little bit of problem with that because John, an apostle, is the one seeing the 24. So I don't know if he's seeing himself in a chair or not, or on the throne. Uh, some would also believe it's 24 angels. Some talk about in 2 Chronicles chapter 24 and 25, there's, when around the temple, there's 24 priests and 24 musicians. What most would agree on is that it's a picture of Old Testament believers and New Testament believers, okay? So I'm just kind of giving you some information. Verse number six, before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. Okay, this is just representing peace. When you think of the sea, have you ever heard the phrase, the sea of humanity? So I think it's, I think it's a picture of people, at peace because in the presence of God. It does picture tranquility and peace, whether it's people or not, that, that might be up for the discussion. Let's keep reading verse number six. In the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes, front and back. The first living creature was a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature like the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night. In Ezekiel chapter 1, you get a pretty similar description of the cherubims. It seems then these are angelic beings standing around the throne, flying around the throne, and what are they saying? Look what it says. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And these four living creatures represent creation. And all of creation is doing what in the presence of God? Singing and declaring the holiness, the majesty, the power, and the might 
of, again, the Hebrew word El Shaddai. Lord God Almighty. Seems to be a domino effect as the angelic beings representing creation sing holy, holy, holy. Look at verse number 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to God Almighty, El Shaddai, who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders... Remember what the 24 elders represent, Old Testament, New Testament believers. When they see the angelic beings who represent creation crying out, worshiping, holy, 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 whenever they see it, what is their response? The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne. You see, the Bible speaks to getting rewards for serving faithfully. And when we get to heaven, you know what we're going to do with those rewards, those crowns? We're going to just give them to Jesus. We're going to lay them at the throne room of God and say, holy. Well, let's see what we're going to say. It says right here, you, verse number 11, you are, what's the word? Didn't we just sing that? You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. God Almighty is on his throne. And one day, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will kneel at that throne and you will say, you are worthy, O Lord. You don't have to wait till that day, though. That's why we gather every week to worship together. Did you know you don't have to wait till Sunday morning to worship? This is going to shock you guys, right? Did you know worship, we have relegated to a style of music or to an hour of church? Worship is a lifestyle. You do everything you do for the glory and honor of God. Let, let me rephrase that. You should do everything you do for the honor and glory of God. You are an image bearer of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are an image bearer of Christ, and everything you do should point to the honor and glory of God. So you don't have to wait. We can worship right now. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you, public worship would be, would be much more powerful if private worship was much more practiced. Okay, I can't say it again because that just came out. I don't know. Go back and watch it. I don't even really know what I said. We're going to claim the Holy Spirit said that. All right. We see God and the response when we enter the presence of God all throughout Scripture is always going to be to bow and worship. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Our hope for you as a church for you is that you wouldn't wait till that day. That you would worship God now. All right, transitions from the focus being God to Jesus. Verse number one, chapter five. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. So God Almighty holds a scroll. It's written on front and back. This is not normal. I don't have time to get into the details. Then I saw a strong angel, verse number two, and the strong angel, what is he saying? He's proclaiming. He's really asking a question. 
Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And the scroll basically represents authority of humanity, the fulfillment of redemption for humanity. Some would say it's the title deed of earth. It makes me think of Matthew chapter 28 when Jesus told the disciples to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded. And he said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This was known as, is known as the Great Commission. But in verse 18 of chapter 28, before he gives the Great Commission, Jesus reminds them, all authority has been given to me both in heaven and on earth. And this is the symbolism here. Who is worthy to open up the scroll, to unveil and to finish, to complete redemption of mankind? Verse number three, no one in heaven on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And what's John's response? If there's no one worthy to finish completion of redemption of mankind, what would your response be? It's like Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter number 15. That if Jesus didn't come back to life, if there is no resurrection, then we as men, as humanity, are miserable, we're pitiful, there's no hope. And that's the response John gives. He wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Verse number five, one of the elders said to me, I wish I knew which one of the elders it was, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed. He conquered death. The lion of the tribe of Judah was prophesied. Jesus fulfilled that. The root of Jesse, the root of David, Jesus fulfilled that. This is speaking of none other than Jesus, our Messiah. He has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Verse 6, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood, here it is, a lamb as though it had been slain. Remember what John the baptizer said when he first saw Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Who does John see? Jesus. It just gives us a quick description of who Jesus is. The seven horns, the seven eyes, the seven spirits. The horns speak to power, seven being completion or fullness. In other words, he is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. The eyes speak of wisdom or knowledge. Seven, again, completion. He is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's all-wise. The seven spirits that go all over the earth, again, speak that he's in everywhere at all times, in all places. He is omnipresent. Jesus, our Savior, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, and he's omnipresent. What a picture of our Savior. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of God Almighty who sat on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls, of, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. This is a really cool picture. In Psalm 141, verse 2 says, Let my prayers be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as an evening sacrifice. And then we see here there's golden bowls full of incense. We don't have to wonder what they are. John tells us 
They're the prayers of who? Well, who, who are the saints? I'm a saint. I've known it in my whole life, right? You're a saint. You don't live very saintly, and I don't either. But followers of Jesus, that's who it is. Do you realize that you have never, as a follower of Jesus, prayed a prayer that he hasn't recorded? Do you realize there has never been a prayer that you have prayed as a follower of Jesus that he hasn't heard, that he hasn't answered, that he won't fulfill? All the prayers will be filled in the completion and the work of Jesus Christ. What a great picture. I love the picture in Psalm we just read, that when I lift my hands, may it be as the evening sacrifice to God. In other words, I don't sit on the front row and lift my hands up to be seen of men. What does the psalmist say? That I would lift my hands as an evening sacrifice to God. That my prayers go up as incense in worship to God. The seven bowls of prayer, or excuse me, the golden bowls. There's so many sevens in here. Verse number nine. What were they doing? This is all of creation. I just mentioned the 24 elders and the four living creatures, the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, here's the words again. What does it say? You are worthy to take the scroll, to open the seals. For you were slain, have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people, and nation, and you have made us kings and priests to our God. We shall reign on earth. Verse number 10 speaks to what I mentioned earlier, the millennial reign of Christ. Then I looked, verse number 11, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him, God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Ever. What a great picture. Go, go back with me to verse number nine. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals. Why is he worthy? For he was slain and he has redeemed us to who? God. By his blood. As we think about this series, The Final Destination. Everyone will stand before God and he'll ask. I don't know what phrase he's going to ask. Why should I let you in? And here's the answer. Because Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, died in my place so that I could have eternal life. Listen, what you need to know today is that gift of eternal life is available to everyone. But you have to make a decision. 
on earth. Maybe today. You realize we're not guaranteed of tomorrow. James said life is a vapor. It's here and then it's, it vanishes away. It's gone. What I want you to be prepared today is for your final destination. The question is, have you ever placed your faith in Jesus? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, Jesus, would not perish. Remember the two destinations. Will not perish eternity in a place called hell, punishment. But will have, if you place your faith in Jesus, you will not perish, you will have eternal life, the other destination, the presence of God for all eternity, doing what we just got to read about. So have you ever placed your faith in Jesus? And if not, I pray you would do it today. You can do it right where you're at, right in this moment. You don't have to come forward. You don't have to close your eyes. You just got to talk to God. You simply got to tell God, yes, I am a sinner. I admit it. And God, I believe that Jesus died for me. And I confess Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I ask you in this moment to forgive me, to save me, to be my Lord. And I pray today that you would do that. If you have more questions about it, as soon as this service is over, I'm going to be in the foyer. I would love to talk to you about it. If you need to scan the QR code and write the question on an email, that's fine too. Make the decision. I want you to be prepared for your final destination. Now, I want to close this morning with three questions of applications. I'm going to ask Greg and, and the team to come lead us uh, in a song as I close. But, but before you close your notes up, okay, we've got three questions of application. And here they are. As we look into the throne room of God, how should, how should it affect us as followers of Jesus? What are some questions we could ask Number one is this, is the glory of God the purpose of your heart? The scripture says everything we do, we do to the glory of God. Is that really a purpose of your heart? Or has the glory of God been relegated between 9.30 and 10.30 on Sunday morning? And God forbid we go past 10.30, oh, forget it. Number two, is the worship of Jesus the passion of your heart. I think public worship would be more powerful if private worship would be more practiced. Do I worship Christ? Number three, is the spread of his salvation the priority of your heart? out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. God has commissioned us as followers of Jesus to bring him glory, to passionately worship him, and to prioritize the proclamation of the gospel. There's a lot of people that don't know Jesus. Remember what I told you three weeks ago? 
ages 18 to 29, only 2% have a biblical worldview. We need to share Jesus. Truth in love. Because he's worthy. Do you believe Jesus is worthy? Would you stand with me? I want to pray for us, and then we're going to sing about Jesus. God, we thank you for this day. God, I pray this morning that we as a church would passionately pursue you. We would passionately pursue lost people. That we would passionately worship you. Because, Lord, you are the King of kings, Lord of lords, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you are worthy. As we worship through song this morning, you're welcome to come and pray. I'm going to be right down here. Maybe you want to, you want to settle this final destination question. Just come talk to me. But let's sing. Let's worship together.